during this, this uh, series, Q&A. And the reason why we're presenting this material, because a lot of times it kind of feels like you're preaching to the choir when you um, jump in a topic like this. And truthfully, this isn't uh, a topic or a type of message that um, I'm proficient at. You know, this is apologetics. Um, there's th those out there that they have entire ministries on apologetics. But this is important because we deal with people on a daily basis. We deal with coworkers. We deal with relatives. You deal with your own children coming home from school or college. You deal with what everybody is experiencing on social media. Uh, and um, we need to have an answer for questions. And thank God we have answers. We have answers. And we are in a time right now in our culture, and, I, and as a pastor, I just want to give you a different, pers uh, uh, different uh, way of looking at what we're experiencing in our nation and in the, in the world. For a lot of people, they're looking at what's happening in the world and saying it's getting more evil, evil, evil. It's getting darker and darker and darker. I'm just going to bunker down, hold on to the back of the pew, and, and just wait for Jesus to come. And if that's your escape mentality, if that's your idea of end times, I would ask you, how do you want to be found when Jesus does return? Hopefully you want to be found fighting like heaven. Fighting like heaven. I believe that what we are experiencing in our culture and in this world is a revealing. It's light shining into darkness and darkness being revealed and it's an opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, to come in and bring righteous change into our culture. To stand up as a standard against the evil. To give answers to the problems that are affecting so many in our nation. And the question is, is the church of Jesus Christ going to heed the call? Are we? That's the question. I, I see, if, if you pay attention, if, if you're just not looking at the, the, uh, the enemy's report, if you're looking at what's happening in Christendom, things are happening all over all over the world. Africa just recently are kicking out. They kicked kicked uh, the French embassy out of their out of um, one of the countries. And they said that they're they're done with being taken advantage of with other countries by other countries, and they they are not going along with same sex marriage and all of this all this perversion that is being shoved down their their throat. If the church of Jesus Christ 
here in the United States would it be as be as bold and stand for truth. So this is th- these are questions that people have and in John chapter 1 verse 1 it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Today's big question is was Jesus just a man? Was Jesus just a man? You 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 have lots of people talk about Jesus and that he's a good person, right? He's someone that we should em- emulate. But I'm sorry, that will not save your soul. That will not change who you are, believing that Jesus was just a good man. So what's, what, what makes Jesus different from every other great man in history? What makes Him different? See, no figure in history has been surrounded by such controversy as Jesus Christ. They argued and, and they debated about who He would be and what He would be before he was born. Right? During, during his life, he was slandered, he was vilified, he was lied about, and much more. And then after his death and resurrection, there has been no one more scrutinized than Jesus. Jesus changed the world. He changed time as we know it. It went from B.C. to A.D. Before Christ, and the year of our Lord. That's the impact that Jesus Christ made on the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, it says, And if Jesus Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said here. He says, that if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, we are completely wasting our time. We are completely wasting our time. His preaching is a waste of time. My preaching right now is a waste of time. You being here, your devotion to the Lord is a complete waste of time. And how many of you don't have time to waste? Right? But if, but if Jesus did raise from the dead, what does that mean? What does that mean? See, anyone wanting to disprove Christianity would have to discredit the authenticity, oh my goodness, authenticity of Jesus' resurrection. Of Jesus' resurrection. Do you, do you realize that? That your faith is not, the foundation of your faith is not on the Ten Commandments. It's not on your church doctrines or, or rules. It is on one thing and one thing alone. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead. What will you do with that truth? What will you do with that truth? Paul hinged everything he preached, his entire life's work, 
on the resurrection of Jesus. He goes on to say that if, if our faith is nothing more than empty false hope, then we are still bound to our permanent state of sin. There's two things I want you to realize here. That if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we're just an old, a bunch of sinners and there's no sacrifice for our sin. Because Jesus did not raise, we, if Jesus did not raise, we were not raised up with Him. The second thing I want you to point out here, that Jesus did raise from the dead, and guess what? We are not in a permanent state of our sin. We have been saved. Praise the Lord. Amen? Not only that, but he goes on to say, and you can look this up um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, not only that, but our loved ones who we thought were in heaven are not. He says we are hopeless Christians, we are hopeless, and we are the most miserable people in the world. That sounds pretty sad, doesn't it? But that's if Jesus did not raise from the dead. And did Paul believe that Jesus raised from the dead? Yes. Was, Jesus, was Paul around and alive when Jesus raised from the dead? Yes. No event in history has been more shrouded with speculation, skepticism, and relentless examination than the hours of Christ's crucifixion and the discovery of the empty tomb. And this is important both to Christians, both to believers, and to non-believers. Because this is the crux of all history. For those that believe in Jesus and His resurrection, it is the glorious gateway into everlasting life. But those that reject the Son of God, it's a one-way ticket to misery in this life and eternal death in the next. I don't know about you, but this sounds like it's a pretty big deal. What you do with Jesus is a very, very big deal. It's the most important question. It's the most important decision that people will ever make in their lives. We have already set a foundation of truth. I mean, we've seen that the belief in God, it, it literally is more scientifically credible, credible than the belief in evolution. We, we, we've seen that when it comes to historical writings, we, we, we see that the Bible is the most trustworthy by far. You know, we, we, we've seen that it's, it's more, it, 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 take, it's, it takes more faith to believe in a causeless cause than a God that's a creator. Thankfully, as always, when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, God has not left us in the dark. He hasn't left us groping around in blind faith. Praise the Lord. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says He also presented Himself, speaking of Jesus, alive after His sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I don't want to go down a rabbit trail here, but this is something maybe you want to, you want to start meditating on. He didn't talk to him about going to heaven. He talked to him about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is now. 
It's now that they were living in the kingdom of God. Infallible here means the highest level of proof. Remember who wrote this. This is Luke. He was a doctor. And he was, he was doing investigative journalism. Both his Gospel and the book of Acts was telling an in-depth account of Jesus Christ and the church. Right? It was, it, it, what, what this is saying is it was known to those of Jesus' day with undeniable certainty that He had come back from the dead. We already proved that the Word of God has the most, the most evidence proving that it is the most, it is literally the, the, the most credible historical document that we have. So we can take that document above all other historical documents as truth. So let, let's go through the, the, the most, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the most common reasons, and these are professors, these are supposed to be smart people in our day. These are their, their rejections to the biblical account of Jesus' resurrection. These are their, their excuses for not believing in Christ. The first one was the, is the fraud theory. The fraud theory. The tomb was not empty. It's all a big deception. And what do people use, uh, what do people use to, to argue this? First, they believe that maybe the women accidentally went to the wrong tomb. And, and that their claim of Jesus' body not being there was simply a case of mistaken um, you know, tombs and uh, they went to a tomb that was already empty. Second, they argue, argue that Jesus' body, maybe it was stolen. Someone stole it. That either uh, Joseph of Arimathea the gardener, maybe the Roman soldiers, the Jewish Jews were involved in a uh, case of body snatching. That's 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 their argument. Or they argue that it's that's possible that the disciples stole the body, and then lied about Christ's post-crucifixion appearances in their writings. So let's answer these objections. These are smart people. Jesus' death. Burial and resurrection was not some obscure event. Everyone was aware of what was happening. Jesus was the most popular individual in that region of the world. So there was no mistaking those events and what was taking place in Jerusalem. And there, there could be no confusion over this infamous person, who he was or where his body was was laid. Jesus' tomb was guarded by heavily equipped Roman soldiers ready to attack any intruders that, to the point of death. Now, it could be possible that these weren't Roman soldiers. They could have been temple guards that were protecting Jesus' tombs. The Bible is not totally clear on if it was the Romans or the Jewish soldiers. But either way, these guards and their bosses had a strong motivation for making sure that that body stayed in the ground. Right? 
Why is it so important that they make sure that that body is in the ground? Because it, it's not in the ground. It confirms who Jesus said He was and what Jesus taught. Both the Romans and Jewish leaders wanted Jesus to stay in the ground. The resurrection could not be... Uh, the resurrection is the only thing that can verify the message and the deity of Jesus. Add this to the fact that the, the tomb was blocked by a massive one and a half to two ton stone, something the disciples could not have easily moved. I mean, to seal Jesus' body, the disciples would have had to overcome temple guards or Roman guards, move a stone, and they'd have to break what many historians think was a mortar seal that was around the stone in the tomb. Remember these disciples? The ones that ran hiding for their lives? The ones that forsake Jesus? The ones that went back to fishing? right? The, 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 these, these ones that their own testimony says that they were quaking and hiding. Also that Jesus, Jesus' followers would also have had to break the Sabbath. Now I know in this day and age, Sunday is not important to a lot of people. But you have to understand the day and age that they were living in. You did not do anything on the Sabbath. This was ingrained into them. Christ's tomb was discovered empty the day following the Sabbath, meaning the disciples would have had to have acted on the day before the most revered Jewish holy day. Those are all solid arguments that unravel with logic. The unlogical idea of this fraud theory. Then, these smarty pants, they come out with the swoon theory. The swoon theory. This theory claims, claims that life never really left Jesus' body. That he really didn't die on the cross. And somehow, in the cold tomb, he revived. It also makes the assumption that he moved the one and a half to two ton stone from the grave entrance, either snuck by the armed and extremely fit and capable Roman guards who would have lost their lives. You understand this? They would have lost their lives if Jesus, or they allowed someone to take Jesus or allow Jesus to escape from the tomb. He, he would have had to overcome the soldiers, uh, you know, despite being wounded, bloody, dehydrated, to the points of collapsing. And then he'd have to travel in disguise or something, because he's the most known person in Jerusalem, across Jerusalem, and find his disciples. Archaeology confirms the gory details of crucifixion, let alone his scourging. Put plainly, it's not survivable. In fact, the very term was equivalent to the word death. We still say that today. If I do that, they're going to crucify me. That means they're going to kill me. There was no surviving crucifixion. Then, they come up with another. It was all hallucination. It was a hallucination theory. 
they, they merely thought they saw Jesus alive. The entire series of events were all part of their imaginations, possibly caused by an obvious stress that they were under at this time. In fact, this theory goes so far to say that although Jesus' resurrection appearances were numerous, happened shortly after His death, and were credibly reported, these accounts all should be attributed to the witnesses' own fancy, uh, fanciful imagination. People wanted to see Jesus alive, therefore they imagined Him alive. Well, first of all, we must realize that there is no evidence that hallucinations are contagious. Right? You don't share visions. Hallucinations are a personal, a personal phenomenon. Right? Multiple people do not have the same hallucination. Second, consider the mental state of the disciples. Medical science tells us that hallucinations occur to people who have been deprived of food or water, have mental problems, who are on drugs, I hope this doesn't describe any of you guys, who are expecting something to happen. The disciples fit none of these profiles. Not only that, we can't forget that honestly, they did not expect to see Jesus again. His own disciples did not expect Jesus to raise from the dead. Why would their imagination cause something them to see something that they've already dismissed as a possibility? It was, if it was just a hallucination, ex, explain this next slide. In the upper left, Judaism, which is founded by Abraham, that is his burial place in Hebron. Guess what? It's a tourist site. You can pay 40 bucks and go visit it. In the upper right, Buddha, the founder of Buddhism, is buried here in India. And again, it's a place for pilgrimages for, for those that are Buddhists. In the bottom left is the burial place of Muhammad, the founder of Islam in uh, Medina. And they know exactly where he was buried. The bottom right, Where's Jesus? Where is this man that has changed the world? Where is this man that all these other, other religions actually talk about and point to? Abraham, it was all prophecy about this Messiah that was coming. Where is Jesus? He's in my heart. No. But <laughs> where is he? Where was he buried? We have no idea. We have no idea. You want to know why? Because He's not there. He's not there. No one cares where He was buried because He's not there. For Jesus, His tomb was more like a hotel. He checked in. A couple days later, He checked out. He just buried it. That's why you know Joseph, Joseph was such a, he was a rich man and a businessman. That, he knew a good deal. He says, I'm going to give Jesus my tomb. That was a big investment, right? Well, he knew that he was just going to borrow it. He'd get it back. I mean, Jesus isn't there. So people do not go back to memorialize it. Do you understand that? 
I guarantee you, if we knew where Jesus was buried and Jesus was there, we would go and visit it and they would charge you 40 bucks to look at it. Right? He's not there. Praise the Lord. Other, other alternative explanations of the resurrection uh, to Jesus. It was Jesus' resurrection was just a spiritual thing. In other words, He overcame death in the, in the Spirit but never phys- physically rose. Um, another one was the resurrection of Jesus is just a heart matter. You might hear, actually hear Christians talk this. Should I say Christian? Christians? Um, apostate Christians say, say stuff like this. That uh, Christ lives only as a symbolic way inhabiting my heart and, and my life. It was never meant to be a physical thing. Um, another one is, is Jesus was either an alien. This is kind of, this is, we see this more new now. You watch the History Channel late at night. This is what you get. Um, this is all, I mean, it's called the History Channel after all. Um, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, Jesus was either an alien or he was acted upon by a group of extraterrestrials. Um, fourth one, Jesus was never crucified, uh, but Judas was crucified mistakenly in Jesus' place. Taught, this is taught by Muslims by some obscure um, verse in the Quran. Again, you know, I don't think Jesus could hide out for the rest of his days if, if it was mistaken. And again, on top of all all of these other um, um, reasons that they say that it's evidence, or could be argued that Jesus didn't raise from the dead, it comes back to where's the tomb? Where's the tomb? Where's he at? This <laughs> understand. The belief that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that Jesus is Lord, which was a political statement because the statement of that day was Caesar was Lord. Rome eventually adopted Christianity as their national religion. Do you understand? Do you understand how profound and how, how, how true these statements were. This isn't some just obscure little cult that, that is just making up things and you had a group of people believe it. It changed the whole world. And people that lived in that day when Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead agreed with it. They might not have been able to explain it. But they agreed with it. You know, being a skeptic is nothing new. But the thing of it is, I mean, we were we were all skeptics at one time. But do you know who the very first skeptics of Jesus' resurrection were? The very first skeptics of Jesus' resurrection? His own disciples. His own disciples. The woman were the first. Uh, 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 the woman was the first first skeptic, Mary Magdalene. Right? She expressed concerns that they had stolen Jesus's body. See, you can look at this at John chapter twenty, verse two and verse thirteen. Who was she referring to? Though it's never spelled out, she was most likely talking about either the Roman or Jewish authorities that they had stolen his body. 
She didn't believe he raised from the dead. They thought she thought someone stole him. Hmm. That argument. I think we've heard that already. In Luke chapter 24, verses 11 through 12, it shows that the first, at first, the disciples refused to believe the women that he rose from the dead, that they had seen Jesus. The disciples disbelieved. They were a skeptic. Peter was such a skeptic that he had to go and check out the scene for himself. Right? And John beat him. And, and, when the, and, the, and when these guys finally saw Jesus face to face in Luke chapter 24, verse 30, 37, forget about followers that are filled with powerful faith. What did they say? They thought he was a ghost. They thought he was a ghost. And he says, no, feel me. And then he sat down and had a meal with them. All of these theories, fraud, swoon, hallucination, they've all been considered before by Jesus' own disciples. By Jesus' own disciples. Their conclusion, that no theory can account for the empty tomb. He is not here, for He is risen. As He said, come to the place where He lay. This experience would forever remind them and should always remind us that Jesus has indeed risen from the dead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, it says, For I have delivered to you as the first importance, the most important thing that I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So what's he saying? He's saying that Jesus was seen alive. He was seen by Peter. He was seen by the other uh, disciples. He was then seen by over 500 people. And if you don't believe me, go ask them because they're still alive. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. What he's saying is, I am a man that persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. I am a man that refused to believe what I have seen and heard. I am a man that, that is more grounded in pride in my own heart and my own beliefs and the way that I was raised, then that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But then, Jesus, I seen Jesus with my own eyes. He showed up on the road to Damascus. And he basically said, why are you persecuting me? And, and, and Paul says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus Christ, whom you persecute. And how was Jesus being persecuted? by Paul persecuting the church. Isn't that awesome? 
Isn't that awesome how the Lord sees you? How the Lord sees us? That's how intimate He is with us. We are His bride after all. We are His body. So all these people seeing Jesus alive, Paul writes and says, this is evidence because you can go talk to these people if you don't believe me. Paul's entire ministry was based on meeting the resurrected Jesus face to face. His entire life, his entire life's work. This was a man that was imprisoned multiple times. He had countless beatings. He was often in near death. Five times he received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times, Paul was beaten with rods. Once, he was stoned. Three times, Paul was shipwrecked. A night and a day, he was adrift at sea. He was on frequent journeys. He was always in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from his own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brethren, constantly in toil and hardships, many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Finally, Paul was executed by beheading. Is this the life you would choose if you knew that Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead? It doesn't sound like fame and riches. Why would Paul go through what he went through if he did not see what he saw? Do you know that all of Jesus' disciples except John was martyred for the simple statement of faith that Jesus was God and that He raised from the dead? Matthew suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia. He was killed by a, with a sword. Mark died in Alexandria after being dragged by horses through the streets until he was dead. Luke was hanged in Greece as a result of his tremendous preaching to the lost. John faced martyrdom when he was, listen to this, boiled in a huge ba- uh, basin of oil, boiling oil, during a wave of persecution in Rome. However, he miraculously was delivered from death and then he was sent into the mines in, in the prison island of Patmos where he received the book of the revelation of Christ, of Jesus. Peter was crucified upside down on an X-shaped cross. According to church tradition, it was because he told his tormentors that he felt unworthy to die in the same way that Jesus died. James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, was thrown over a hundred feet down from the southeast pinnacle of the temple when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. When they went down to investigate him, they realized that he was still alive. And then they stoned him to death. Oh no, no, excuse me. They beat him with a fuller's club. 
This was the same pinnacle where Satan had taken Jesus during his temptation. James, the son of Zebedee, was a fisherman by trade when Jesus called him to a lifetime of ministry. As a strong leader of the church, James was beheaded in Jerusalem. The Roman officer who guarded James watched, watched in, the, in amazement as James defended his faith on, at, at trial. Later, the officer walked beside James to the place of execution. Overcome with, com- com- overcome with conviction, he declared his new faith to the judge and knelt beside, beside James to accept his beheading as a Christian. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel. He was a missionary to Asia. He witnessed for our Lord in present-day Turkey. Bartholomew was martyred for his preaching where he was flayed to death by a whip. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Greece. After being whipped severely by seven soldiers, they tied his body to the cross with cords to prolong his agony. His followers reported that when he was led towards the cross, Andrew saluted it with these words, I have, I have long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging on it. He continued to preach to his tormentors for two days until he expired. Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India during one of his missionary trips to establish the church. Jude was killed with arrows when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. Matthias, the apostle chosen to replace the traitor Judas Iscariot, was stoned and then beheaded. All of these people either seen the risen Christ, or they spent their days and gave their lives for something that they knew was not true. They knew it wasn't true if they did not see Jesus raised from the dead. People will lie when they think that it will benefit them. People will not lie if it will cause them suffering. How about Jesus' family? I mean, who knew Jesus best, right? Who knows, knows you best? Who, who knows me best? Jesus' family knew Jesus the best, right? And Matthew tells us that Jesus was the son of Mary, and his, and his brothers were James and Joseph, and Simon and Judas. Along with his, his brothers, he had multiple sisters. You can read that in Matthew chapter 13. So this idea that, that Mary was a virgin for... for um, Forever that she 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 was the eternal virgin, as taught by Catholicism, is it, it, it's biblically not correct. Um, you know, just think of poor Joseph. I mean, it's it's all right, it's great to marry a virgin, but it's terrible to be married to a virgin. So, um, <laughs> so, oh, I shouldn't have that. so, anyways, so, <laughs> so, what did the, his family think about Jesus? In Mark chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. 
And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. So this is what his family thought. That Jesus is out of his mind. What's it, what, we're not, he's not even eating. Before Jesus' resurrection, they seen him as an ordinary person that was in need of them saving him. Now look at the book of Acts, chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, verse 13, And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All of these were in one accord. They were all in a Honda. No. They were all in one accord. were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women. And who else? Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Not only was Jesus' disciples in the upper room devoting themselves to worshiping Jesus, but it says that Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers were also there doing the same. What changed between Mark 3 and Acts 1? The change was that Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave and rose victoriously. That's what happened. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you, have, if you're, you're, that your brother or sister, if, if you started, started saying that you were God, right, and you started going to start up a new religion, how many of your brothers or sisters would support you? Huh? You know, interesting, my, my family support, supported me becoming a pastor and, and all of that. And they were, actually came to come to this church. What does that mean? That means that they're full of grace and mercy. That's, that's what that means. But, but, but the... Uh, but you wouldn't, if your brother or sister said that they were God, they're starting up a new religion, you would say, no, he's not God. He's the devil. You know, he, he's the farthest thing from God. Right? Don't listen to him. He's a liar. He's filled with the devil. Right? That's what you would say. Now, now notice these scriptures. In Jude chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to whom, to those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Jude says that he's a servant of Jesus, and then he says that he has a brother named James. James had a brother. You know what James' brother's name was? His name was Jesus. See, I don't know about you, but that's the way I'd start out. Hey, I'm Jude. My brother's Jesus. I think you've heard of him. You know, he raised from the dead. That, that's, you know, that's... My business cards would say that. You know, that's, that's how I'd introduce myself. I'll, it'd be in my uh, social media bio. You know, I'd have shirts made. You know, you'd buy them from me. But uh, think about that. But he didn't say that. What did he say? That he was a servant of Jesus. And that James was his brother. This was the same J James that was taken up to the top of the, the pinnacle of the temple. And they said, Tell us that your brother is not God and that he didn't raise from the dead. He says, I cannot. 
and they threw him off of the temple. And then he lived. And then they came down and asked him again, tell us that Jesus is not the Son of God and that he did not rise from the dead. And he says, I cannot. And they beat him to death. Jude, no longer seen Jesus as his brother, he's seen him as his God. And Jude, as we read, gave up his life, being pierced with arrows, because he would not deny that Jesus was God and that he had raised from the dead. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes, I am trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say. Want to hear the really foolish thing that people often say, even back in C.S. Lewis's day? That I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I cannot and I do not accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who says he is a excuse me, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man that says I'm a poached egg, or else he would be a devil from hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Was Jesus just a man? History, eyewitness accounts, emphatically say no. He was God incarnate. That He has raised from the dead. On top of that, He is still alive and active today. I have not seen Jesus with my own eyes, but I have experienced Jesus. He has saved me. He is working in me. He has made me who I am even though I am not where I need to be, he is, he is leading me to where God intends me to be. He has rescued my marriage. He has kept me from a short, being snuffed out of life too, way too early. He has given me hope. He is filled with, with love and joy. 
There are countless people, countless, countless people in this world that has experienced the resurrected Jesus Christ. I would say that every single one of you in this room has experienced Jesus. If you haven't experienced Jesus, I believe that you're experiencing Him right now. That you know it's true. That He's not a madman. He wasn't a demon. But He was the Son of God. The Savior of the world. Your Savior. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank You. We thank You for evidence that demands the skeptics to make a verdict. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the grace that's on our lives, that, that, we, that the scales has fallen and that we have seen Jesus as He is, the living Son of God the Son of Righteousness. Father, we thank You that as we talk about Jesus to our brothers and sisters, as we talk about Jesus to our co-workers, as we talk about Jesus to our family and our, and our children and our grandchildren, we thank You that Jesus shows up in that conversation. He supernaturally confirms what we say. Because His desire is that no one would perish but that all would come to everlasting life in faith and in belief in Him. Father, Jesus is the only hope for this world. He is the only hope for this world. May we be instruments used to carry that hope, to proclaim that hope, to speak that hope. May Jesus be seen alive in us. We thank You, Lord. We love You. And we close in praise and worship to You. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.